Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. The DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. All right, awesome. Just as I'm uh, fixing to get started here, looks like I broke my windscreen, <laughs> but it's, it's still working. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it probably doesn't matter. And uh, it, whatever, it's okay. I am Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It here on the DBN Network. Want to uh, thank you for uh, joining me here uh, today, whenever, at whatever day this is that you're hearing this. Um, I am the, <clears throat> I don't know, the proprietor of the network, and want to start off by apologizing for Mantle. He's uh, been back with a vengeance lately, and uh, has put up quite a few shows. And uh, not, nah, I'm just giving a hard time. It's good to have him back, and definitely a new voice. And he uh, spent a lot of time in his most recent program, Manly by Nature, talking about the different shows that we have on. And I do uh, appreciate that um we are browns fans talking to browns fans this is what we do and how we do it you know varies from person to person i tend to kind of do this monologue-ish style every once in a while i'll have somebody on with me but uh, for all intensive purposes it's just you and i uh chatting back and forth and 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 really that's kind of how i look at this is i'm yeah i'm i'm the one doing this all the talking but hopefully i'm doing it in such a way that there's a dialogue that's going back and forth you know between the two of us because when i say something i try to do it from uh, the standpoint of viewing as many different perspectives at least that I can identify with whatever giving topic that we are uh, discussing and without trying to dissect that too very much I want to start off talking about you know this week I uh, did get a chance to I mentioned at the end of last week that one of the things I'm going to start doing on this program is talking every week about uh, the quarterbacks that are going to be available in the upcoming 2018 draft and that maybe it maybe sound like a weird place for you to uh, for, for, to start after this week, but for me, I I, I, I want to do it. Um, I had a chance to take a look. I talked last week about Lamar Jackson, who, after watching really about as much you know film on him as as was available. By the way, uh, uh, draft breakdowns now a paid thing, so that's a whole uh, different. Uh, paradigm that has to be dealt with but prior to that I, I managed to watch just the, just about everything that that uh, was available and came away very 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 impressed I thought that he set the bar pretty high um, there's been a lot of talk over the last and I said I would I would you know concentrate on kind of another uh, prospect and this week the prospect that I have concentrated on and, and granted uh, right from the beginning I probably have not I've maybe watched about half as much on this guy as I have on Jackson um, but just, you know, the timing constraints had to, you know, start talking to you at some point. And, it, you know, you can still pick up a lot. Uh, and I'm, I mean, and if really for all of these guys, um, it's just not 
there, there probably isn't enough that's been shown even to this point to really make a definitive, um, uh, you know, on a lot of these prospects right now. But even still, you, you can get an idea, and a lot of people have been talking about Baker Mayfield, the quarterback out of Oklahoma. And, you know, they, it's like anything, like everybody else, people kind of, you know, they with Lamar Jackson, they immediately, you know, think of Michael Vick. And with uh, Baker Mayfield, they immediately think of uh, Johnny Manziel. And, but, I mean, for... Uh, point of reference a lot of people thought the same thing last year about Patrick Mahomes that he also resembled Manziel I didn't see it and I definitely don't see that uh, with Mayfield there's some smart um, studied good in my opinion uh, you know judgment of quarterback play guys that have had a lot of really good things to say about Baker Mayfield so I put on the tape to really you know kind of watch him for the first time and I, I, I get I can see exactly what they're talking about I, the, I, I got to say, I'm not quite – I still have a lot more to watch, but I can definitely see him nudging up past Lamar Jackson given his, his passing prowess. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting to talk about, you know, scouting players versus watching games. It really is an, it's, it's – it's an interesting thing because, I, like, I watch the Ohio State from a cut-up standpoint, which is, if, if you haven't done it before, basically it's every play, like play after play after play of just that player that you're scouting. So in this case, it's just every play that Mayfield uh, was – making and it's such a different thing because during the course of a game because obviously i'm i'm biased and uh, not dispassionate about uh the sooners versus the buckeyes as it's happening you know what i'm watching is uh really you know why why aren't we uh making the play as, as in why is why aren't our defensive guys doing what they can to stop this guy stop this offense from racking up all these points and when you're scouting a player um, it's a whole different perspective. What you're looking at there is now what did the player do to make all of these things happen? And from that standpoint, I mean, the guy made all kinds of plays. And before that, I had watched, I don't know, uh, maybe half dozen games prior to that from previous years, including and the first one that I watched was the game, the Sugar Bowl last year against Auburn. And I got to tell you something, whenever I think that whenever you are and everybody does this differently, when you're scouting quarterbacks, um, I kind of wrote this in the uh, the John thread about, uh, you know, what you look for. And everybody kind of does this differently for me. I and, you know, not that not that I am some sort of, you know, um, you know, great, you know, judge of of this type of thing or that my method is the best method. I'm just telling you kind of how I do it because I think that it makes sense and everybody can. You know, make uh, judge that for their for their own self, and and uh, you know have their own way or what have you. But for me, if you've got tape on a guy that goes back to you know as far back, I, I like to start with the stuff as early as you can get. So right now, guys that are going to be drafted in 2018, you might have film on them from 2015. You might have film on them from 2014. Probably not, but as far back as you can get, you want to watch that stuff first. I think. And then watch, you know, the 2016 tape next. And then watch the stuff from this year. And I, and honestly, it really isn't a, until about this time in the cycle, I, in my opinion, that you really can get a, a decent enough read on a guy to be able to tell. And it's still early. Mind you, all of this is still way early. But even at this early stage, you can get a read on some guys uh, more so than you, you were coming into the season. Because honestly, uh, all the film coming into prior to the guy's final year in school, whether it's his senior year's uh, junior year or what have you, 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 it gives you an idea, but it doesn't paint a full picture. You really do kind of need to have that final year and a, you know a good couple of games in that final year to be able to identify traits. And as I say, it's a different, it's a whole different thing. I'll watch a game and not even pay attention to the score 
until you know much later and, and almost his entire done because I'm not even paying attention to what is actually happening. For in other words, if a like if a if a play results in a wide receiver dropping, if I'm scouting quarterbacks for example, a wide receiver dropping a pass, you know, on a third down, that might have been a devastating you know thing that happened in that game. But I wasn't really paying attention to that. I was just looking at what did the quarterback do on that play, and everybody has their own. Um, you know, kind of scale of what they find important. I, I kind of broke this down in, in like I say, in the John article. I think that accuracy and decision making are, and, and those two things, right? Those two two things uh, really encompass a lot of the individual skill sets that define them. In other words, you know, ability to read a defense, for example, that kind of falls under uh, both of them uh, it, to some extent, but probably more accuracy than anything else. Um, pocket presence. I think that. Has has to do uh, to some extent. Ah, they say, well, that, that's really more of a mechanics thing. And maybe that's that's uh, part of the uh, uh, equation as well that I didn't really factor in there. But I really look at, you know, the, the accuracy, the decision-making, the size is, is relevant, but not you know that relevant i mean it is but it, you have to temper it against you have to balance it against everything else same thing with arm strength arm strength i think that you need to have on a scale of of 1 to 10 with you know 1 being i you know i don't know a, a, a you know way below you know the ability to you know 50 40 to 50 percent you know less than what it would be require to be an nfl level quarterback with five being about you know the 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 bare bones of what it takes to make it in the nfl uh, and 10 being at like the jeff george level which is the you know or cardell jones level which is you know strongest arm that has ever been you know type type guys you really need somewhere between a five and ten and and it really can be just that. I mean, in other words, a, 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 the arm strength is not as big of a deal as a lot of people uh, I think emphasize. And and uh, when I say people, I'm not just talking about you know people like us that are amateur scouts. Uh, I think that a lot of NFL people put too much emphasis on arm strength as a key indicator of success, or as a as a a um, not even a metric, but a a measurement, something tangible that you can look at and you say that guy's got a major arm. But guys that have major arms don't necessarily you know aren't necessarily the guys that are going to make it. The guys that are going to make it are the guys that make the best decisions and the guys that are the most accurate. And when I'm watching Baker Mayfield, this guy. I mean, he does all of the things that you want him to do. He, he's, I mean, he, first of all, I mean, the guy looks like he was born to play quarterback from the pocket. I mean, he's, he's constantly, you talk about just terrific footwork. I mean, he runs around a lot and he has a lot of, uh, you know, mobility from the standpoint that he's certainly not a statue. He doesn't just stand there and he can, he can move whenever he needs to, as far as, you know, running with the ball, um, but I mean, he's not. I mean, like, if we're talking about that, Lamar Jackson is like in a different plane of existence as far as that goes, and certainly he's not like that. But to me, that is like one of the most under uh, unimportant. I should say, I would much rather have a guy that can't run at all. You know, a Bernie Kosar type that can't run the ball at all, but can from the pocket, you know, make passes, you know, make the guys miss, you know, navigate the pocket and do all that sort of thing. Doesn't mean that it's an either or proposition. There are guys that can do both like Aaron Rodgers. He's a guy that is lethal from the pocket, but then every once in a while he can pull it down and run. And when he does, he's, he's, you know, very difficult to contain because he's so good as a passer. 
Um, and that's kind of where I would consider Mayfield's you know, running prowess. He can run around and make a lot of plays, but that's not uh, something that I see as him relying on in his game. The kid can flat ball from the pocket. He can make and he can make the throws. The arm strength, as I say, I, I don't know where I would I would put it um, on the on the scale, you know. But it's definitely like it's it's not as big as as Lamar Jackson. But uh, I, I don't really care. It's definitely it's, – it's about where Trubbs was last year, I guess. It's about where – I mean, it's fine. It's, if I guess if I'm losing that scale, it's maybe a 7 or 8, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fine. It's totally within, uh, you know, that, that window of what you need to be you – know, to, to perform at the NFL level. There's a baseline that you need. This is the argument that I've had with a lot of people about Cody Kessler. Because, you know, like, uh, like APOC, for, you know, especially, who I love, and he's a great dude. And he, he's, you know, he was like, okay, what would it take to convince you that Kessler doesn't have a big enough arm and I'm like it's 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 not about that it's about I think that you need a a requisite amount of arm strength uh, to make it in the league and I think Kessler's got about what you need to do it at the NFL level people good people can disagree with that I'm just saying that what's way more important is the decision making all of those things that I'm talking about um and accuracy and Kessler is by and large an accurate and I'm going to talk about Cody Kessler because he's not necessarily uh, relevant to the discussion but I'm saying that the guy can make up for a lack of arm strength. Well, Peyton Manning at the end of his career, you know, he was probably at about a four. You know, we're talking about this arm strength thing. But he also had incredible anticipation. And, you know, even and with that was good enough to be able to, you know, perform at the level that ultimately was a championship level. I know people was, oh, it was the Broncos defense. I don't care. Without Peyton playing the way he did in the Super Bowl, they don't win that game. The difference was that Cam Newton made a couple of mistakes and Peyton didn't. And if, <laughs> I think that we should all – anybody that's a Browns fan shouldn't even entertain these ideas because you're, you're telling me that if Brock Lobster would have started that game that the Broncos have a chance because the, the Panthers' defense balled out in that game. I don't care. It's not even worth getting into that discussion right now. Point is, Baker Mayfield is a very accurate passer. Like, I, I'm, I'm looking at the accuracy between him and Lamar Smith, who are really just the only two guys – oh, and you throw Mason Rudolph in there, who I've also looked at. And I basically already – I've relegated him to Davis Webb uh, status, which means I'm pretty much – you know, that, that's, that's about as far as that goes. I'm not really looking at. I'm going to look at all these guys more as as the you know process unfolds. But I I can see why people are really and there's still I mean you know the Josh Rosen there's lots of guys out there that um, uh, Sam Darnold there and which those two guys that I just mentioned were kind of the two coming into this. Uh, draft season that a lot of people had as their one and two but there was always a question mark and there still is a question mark um, around both of them as to whether they're going to come out next year and if they don't and they hold back a year I think you still have two really good prospects from what I've seen so far in Mayfield and Jackson and if those are the two guys that you have to choose from guys we're we're not in bad shape here Uh, and the uh and there's certainly other guys out there, Luke Falk, others that you know. As as this process goes, we're gonna look. We're gonna look at all of them. Um, and and he's a, as I say, he's a guy that uh, when you when talking about how you you know you measure these types of things, accuracy and in leadership is another one of those intangible uh, qualities that you can you know kind of see on take Deshaun Watson for example, which we'll get to get to had off the charts kind of leadership um you know a poise under pressure you know types type skills the guy that you know in in the clutch could come through that you know he may have been the most legendary court college quarterback ever you know when it came to to being able to do what he did at the collegiate level 
um, I, I, the reason I'm talking about all of this is there's still a couple of guys that we haven't even looked at. A couple of other uh, the kid Finley, um, you know, a couple of small college kids that we're going to look at. It really is looking like, and I hate because every year we go through this. Like, hey, next year, you know, we didn't get the guy this year, but next year's quarterback class. Oh, Nelly, to use a Keith Jacksonism. You know, and this year it was looking at right away. Okay, well, a couple of those guys right from the rip. They may first of all they're not playing very well. And they may not come even out. May not even come out next year, which had people then going the other way. Oh, okay, well, it looks like this is going to be a weak quarterback class. I, I, I'm, 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 I just can't even with all of this uh, because ultimately. We don't know. We're not close to knowing, but we're closer to knowing. And from what we are closer to seeing at this point, it doesn't. It looks to me like we got two guys right out the gate that are going to be worthy of number one overall consideration. And that's you know that may that's better than you get you know in, in like a 2013 year, for example. And it's usually about as good as you can get. So hey, we're we're good as far as that's concerned. The reason that I opened up the the, the program talking about. This The reason that I started with Baker Mayfield, who I'm going to look at more and we're going to talk about more, but right from the, you know, just looking at it from the, you know, the first couple of glimpses, looking at his, his, you know, a lot of his, some of his 2015 tape, looking at some of his 2016 tape and now looking into 2017, the guy looks like, um, he, he looks, if he looks to me like a seriously improved version of, uh, of Mitch Trubisky, I mean, from, from what, and I, I and I was a guy that really, really was in in love with Trubs last year as a prospect. That would have been very happy to draft him. Uh, I, I think that what you see from a play style, even even though they don't play similar offenses, but just from a, a, a prospect style, they look similar to me. And Mayfield looks like a much better version uh, of that. So take it for what it's worth. I think that you know, <laughs> and I kind of made a joke about him yesterday on the Chow about him being. Um, uh, you know, really, really short. They haven't listed a six one. Uh, you know, I, that, it's fine. That's fine. We don't, we don't have a problem. He doesn't look small at all out there. Uh, and honest, obviously, guys that are shorter than that have had success. We drafted Johnny Manziel, who was like five eleven, and he would have been fine. His issue was not, you know, how tall he was. His issue was well, a lot of a lot of things. Uh, so, uh, uh, reason I, I I start the program with this is because it's meant to kind of. You know, let there's things to really put into perspective when viewing this whole paradigm of the Cleveland Browns, especially after this last week. And, you know, it's the bye week. And somebody said going into it, you know, is it amazing that the bye week happens, you know, in the trade deadline week? And the trade deadline week usually doesn't mean anything except for, you know, two week, two years ago it was rumored that we were going to trade Joe Thomas to the Broncos. Remember this? We were going to trade Joe Thomas to the to the Donkeys for a second rounder and Shaq Barnett. That was what we were going – or Shaq Barrett. That's what we were going to do. And that fell through, and it just caused people to go, you know, to get all banana sandwich about it because they lo- love Joe Thomas, who, of course, we we lost earlier this year to a season-ending uh, uh, peck injury. Come back, Joe. We love you. Although, mentioned uh, on the Sunday show what a great job Spencer Durango did in his first game filling in for him. Um, but, I mean, uh, the, the – somebody said at the beginning of the week, well, at least we can't lose the bye week. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. And, and I look, at, I, we didn't lose anything uh, when you get right down to it. I'll preface all of this uh, at, at the beginning. But, you know, it's, it's – oh, and I, I – 20 minutes into the show, I probably should have said this uh, sooner. Um, you know, hey, I, things got a little, you know, testy this week on, on the threads. 
Uh, and I apologize for, for that. Rick, you're my dude. Rick the Dutchman, I, I love you. I mean, you know, sorry about the, you know, we had a little bit of back and forth. And whoever else, if I, if I came across like an a-hole this last week, didn't mean to, sorry if I did. And I think that just things got a little chippy this week with a lot of people because people are frustrated. When you've got, because here's the first thing that happened, you know, and, and I'm sure that you know this, but if not, if, if, you're some, if for some reason you're hearing about this the first time from me, uh, well then hopefully I'll do justice in explaining and, and painting the picture of what happened. And even if you have heard about it, but we're busy and, and haven't really gotten the full, you know, the full bird's eye view of all that went down, then, then hopefully some of this can, can provide that. On Tuesday, the, no, on Monday... The San Francisco, the day before the trade deadline, the San Francisco 49ers acquired quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, affectionately referred uh, here to win as Sandwich, from the New England Patsies for a second round draft pick, which for the Niners is probably going to be a really high second round pick, probably in the 30s in the 30s range because uh, they're well, they're the only other undefeated team besides us this year. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo was a guy that a lot of people, myself included, were high on coming out of college, were very enthusiastic about the prospect of acquiring him uh, in the offseason. And I, I remember saying at the the whole time, this isn't a I told you so, I'm just saying, I remember during that time thinking it was probably our 12th overall that was required to pry Samich from the Patsies. And given what now it's, what, six, seven months later, and we're at a point now where, you know, he's not under contract for uh, after this year. So the price is going to come down uh, on a guy like him at this at this stage of, of the of the process. And the price ended up being uh, what about maybe if we're just guessing here, 20 to 25 picks later than than the, the 12th overall. So what's the depreciation on a guy that can be a potential a potential uh, franchise quarterback, though he hasn't proven anything uh, of that sort but, it, but he's going to be out of his contract at the end of this year you know what's the depreciation on a guy like that is it about 20 to 25 picks over seven months eh, i don't know may it sounds maybe like it could be about right i just don't know um and i also and, and here's the thing we don't and there's kind of a theme here throughout a lot of this we just don't know it's kind of like these quarterbacks we just don't know a lot of things we don't know if they're going to come out we and we didn't know at the beginning of the year there's a lot of things that we don't we don't know if a guy's going to get hurt which is another thing uh, that we're going to talk about, you know, of course, again, with respect to Deshaun Watson. But I want to get to the whole timeline of events here because perspective, perspective, perspective. It's so important in all of this. Um, the, the reports that came out initially, you know, Chris Mortensen and others, and some of the, I got I got to preface even this by saying I have a hard time believing just about anything that I that I read or hear from anybody. I try to as much as possible to read between the lines, to read the tea leaves, as Mantle likes to say. I try to, which is not to say that I'm smarter or better at, at this than anybody else. I'm just saying I like to, I, I just like to, um, just be a little bit, just come at this from from the standpoint of I don't know, and if somebody is lying to me and I take that lie and I start to then implant it into my mind and say, okay, we need to do X, Y, or Z because of what ends up being a faulty premise. Then you know what am I really doing? It's 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 like I've talked about before. If you are either successful or unsuccessful at something, then you need to be honest with yourself and accurate with yourself about what it was that caused you to be unsuccessful or successful. So that way you can either replicate that success or avoid future failure. 
So in this case, when I whenever something like this happens, you hear that Garoppolo gets traded uh, for a second round pick, and for a lot of people, the immediate assumption. That I mean, and not just assumption, the ironclad belief as if there is no other thing that could be considered is that Sashi just did not offer enough. And, and thus, he is incompetent. He failed at his job and, and should be fired. This was the actual reaction of people when the news broke about all of this. Okay, let's, let's breathe a little bit first. Let's consider that the proposition that Jimmy Garoppolo is a franchise quarterback or will become a franchise quarterback, while I think that he's he, as a prospect he's, he looks very good, it is not a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. Number one, that's the first thing. Number two, we have no idea what was offered, what was talked about, what was discussed. We've got some rumors We've got some things that have been said about, and we've got, you know, it's conflicting all over. On, on one hand, he was the guy that Hugh really, really wanted. On, on another hand, and there seems to be some validity to that. On another hand, uh, Sashi wasn't interested in him. Then we hear that it was never going to happen for us. Why? Well, one thing is that, um, I, this, is, this is my thought, is that if, if, if Samich really is a franchise guy if Samich really is the type of guy that can go to a franchise and turn it around and why is everybody upset about this people were upset about this because they thought that very thing they thought that Samich is a franchise guy and that oh Sashi is so stupid because he didn't put up the amount of draft capital that was necessary to get this guy well you know again we don't we don't know what happened but as I'm saying if Belichick sees Garoppolo and I think that he probably wanted to try to work something out with him, which is why he didn't trade him before the draft. He probably wanted to see, but you just couldn't do it. And at that point, if he knows that he has to get rid of him, well, what can you, at that point, at this point, people you know, assume that the only thing that Belichick cares about is getting as much value as he possibly can. But as I'm saying, if he really thinks he has a good quarterback here, then part of his decision-making could be that, you know what, I really would rather play this, have to play this guy as little as possible. He's been here for a while, he knows our system, and if he's really this good, then I probably want to try to put him somewhere where either he, he may not be as successful as he might otherwise be, or that is not in our conference. I don't have to, or especially in our division. It's kind of what makes the rest of this whole dialogue even more. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes it more interesting as you move along. You wouldn't expect if he is a guy, type of guy that can change around a franchise. You're not going to trade that guy to the Jets, are you? Now you can turn around and say, well, he traded Drew Bledsoe to the Bills. Well, he traded Drew Bledsoe to the Bills after Bledsoe had like you know. 10, 15 years. I forget how, how long Bledsoe had been in the league at that point. This was, what, 01, 02. Um, by that point, Bledsoe had been in the league for, like, yeah, like 10 years, 8, year, ten, eight 10 years, something like that. In other words, he was on the downs. He was on the back nine at that point. Garoppolo, he could still play 10, 15 years. And so are you going to put a – I'm just saying it's plausible. It is entirely plausible to consider that part of the equation. Let's say that uh, the Niners – let's say that the Niners offered um, – slightly worse compensation than what Sashi offered. Maybe Sashi offered uh, the exact same thing as what was rumored he would offer the next day for a different quarterback, a second and a third. But Belichick looks at the Brown situation and says, hey, you know what? Um, they've got, 
you know they got they got a they got a you know a train fire there at wide receiver, but they got some really good talent in some other you know places. And Joku looks like a, like he could be a keeper. That offensive line they lose Joe Thomas and to keep on plugging along. That defensive line looks like he could be scary good. Uh, the linebacking core looks look, – I mean, that whole front seven looks pretty solid. They're getting really good play out of their cornerbacks. The safeties suck. But um, overall, they, they got a lot of firepower to address those positions, and they really seem to have built that. I mean, if I can see this, Belichick is a smart guy. He can see this too. And if he says if they have a good quarterback that just gets dropped to them, they could be a really good team. And do I want to deal with that? Okay, now I know people laugh at that. But why? I mean, why, why are we upset about missing out on, on Garoppolo? It's because we feel like if we have a good quarterback, we can turn the corner, right? Well, if we think that, why is it so impossible that Belichick could possibly think that, right? Now, that's, look, that's just me on Easy Island just speculating, okay? It may have had nothing to do with that, but I'm just saying it's not a totally implausible thing, is it? Is it totally impossible to, to think that maybe part of the the whole calculus on this was that I don't want to put a guy that I actually think is good in a, a a position where he can come in and beat me. We treated Matt Castle to the to the to the chefs. Well, all right, fine. Maybe the part of the calculation there was that Matt Castle was pretty good, and at the end of the day, was he? Was Matt Castle the type of guy that? This is what I'm saying, and and I made this point. If we are we like when when we didn't get uh, when the news broke that we didn't get. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was the first reaction that people had was oh man this is Matt Castle and Jacoby Brissett all over again really was that your first thought like man this is now the, the this is not the first time that we could have gotten a great quarterback from the Patriots and we just missed out on it fire everybody and the reason I make that that comparison is because Castle and Brissett probably and I you know it's too early of course I don't want to you know uh uh you know, just toss Joby Brissett out. I mean, Jacoby Brissett out. I mean, the, by the way, it looks like he's going to get a whole year uh, with the clots because uh, Andrew Luck doesn't look like he's going to come back. And that's, you know, unfortunate for, for their situation. But I'm not I'm, – I'm just saying if you're not upset about those guys, about us missing out on those guys, probably means that whatever Belichick got out of those guys was better value than what they were to the teams that they went to, even though Castle had a couple of decent years uh, in Kansas City. Point is – you uh, look at a guy like Garoppolo, if he is the exception, which we assume that he is, because nobody was that upset. I, you know, I actually I don't know. I wasn't around when uh, when uh, I wasn't around uh, DBN when Castle got traded to the to the chefs. Uh, and I, you know, I don't remember anybody getting all that hot and bothered about the trade for Brissett. I think what had happened, people were like, what, really? That's an unusual move. Like, yeah, I guess we could have done that. But I think at the time, people were more, you know, uh, um, excited about Kid Zeppelin. And by the way, none, none of what I was talking about earlier with respect to dra- the uh, scouting of the quarterback position is to say that I have thrown in the towel on Zeppelin. Not at all. I, I'm, In fact, I'm very looking forward to what the second half of the season is going to be with that young man. And I'm s- still kind of leaning towards the notion of... Uh, um, you know, keeping him in there, and then we draft some, you know, some offensive playmakers with some of our early picks, or, or, and people are going to love this, trade down more, get more draft picks for the future years, and draft two or three, you know, first rounders this year, and have two or three first rounders lined up for next year, just like we did last year. Whatever, we'll, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get to that point when we get to that point, um, and a lot of that's going to have to, you know, g- going to be on the analysis of Kaiser between uh, now and then, and I, you know, I, that's not even the road that I'm going down here. What I'm saying is that it is not out of the realm of possibility 
that part of Belichick's calculation here was just simply, I want this guy to go someplace where I'm going to have to deal with him as little as possible. And if I trade him to the Niners, who right now look like, you know, they, they, they're, they're a very, very bad, bad situation. They're really the only other situation in the league besides us that you can look at and say that may be the worst team in the league. So I think we... we you know, still have a pretty firm grip on that. But that's going to look, that can change quickly if we have a quarterback. And I think if you're Belichick, you look at, th- I think people are assuming that, that Samich is going to go to the Niners and uh, Shanahan is going to, uh, Kai Shanahan is just going to turn that whole thing, situation around. I, personally, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with, um, with uh, projecting this. I don't think that Kyle Shanahan is or is going to be a good coach. And I think that he's going to hinder more than help uh, Garoppolo. Time will tell. Just my, just my, um, you know, analysis on this. And I, you know, again, I reserve the right to be wrong. It's just what, um, it's what my read on the situation is. But having said that, if you're Belichick, you know, and not that he would try to sabotage the deal. The other part of it was that there was some, some, uh, a lot of talk, a lot of thought to the fact that, that Samich just didn't want to deal with us. And look, if you've got, which shouldn't matter. And I know a lot of people have come to that. Well, you know, it's not like Hootie's going to care. It's not like Belichick's going to care where the guy's going to go. Well, apparently part of this is that Garoppolo and Tom Brady have the same agent and they are very close. They're very close. And if, you know, look, if Brady is, 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 if Brady's not going to be around, then there's no reason that you're going to get rid of, of Garoppolo. The only reason that you're even thinking about doing this is because there's got to be some reliance on the fact that Brady is going to be there for some time, which means that Brady is still the most important in person, the most important person in the Patriots universe right now. And that guy, if he's got a heavy influence on anybody, it's the coach. And if he's saying, hey, look, it's important to me and it's important to, and again, I know a lot of this is extrapolating based on things that we can't possibly know. And it's, and it's supposition and and uh, 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 speculation based on conjecture. I know all that. I'm still saying if it went down like this, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it was just, hey, th- Jimmy really wants to go to the 49ers. It's a better situation for everybody involved. Uh, that's what should happen here. And Belichick said, okay, uh, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really too much worried about the difference in, uh, in uh, uh, compensation for reasons that are better for my life and my team overall. We're going to go ahead and do this. We're going to send them to the 49ers. And whether that means that there was never any conversation with Sashi or whether the price that they wanted for it was too steep and we didn't go for it, all of that to say there's plenty of and, – and that's a possibility too. I should probably – you know, let's delve into that. The other possibility is that the Niners were willing to give up a second-round pick and that was the price tag and we just weren't willing to go there. Now, the reason that that seems – fairly unlikely is because what happened the following day and it's worth getting into the whole story of what happened the following day evidently the following day a lot of the well several of i shouldn't say a lot of several of the members of the coaching staff started getting on the social media and in my opinion based on everything that we have seen and what can be gleaned from it made total asses out of themselves and i don't usually you know get that harsh on people when it comes to these sorts of things but seriously Uh, for what was going to happen next for the guys to go out there and complain about how i mean this the the absolute dumbest thing that was said through all of this is this was it was a uh a, a a a complaint it was an allusion to the fact or to the notion to the uh to the apparent 
claim that the front office was gone by 5 o'clock on Monday night, uh, uh, something which has been subsequently apparently um, unsubstantiated, that they were, you know, it, it couldn't be authenticated. They were actually there. and It was actually some of the coaching staff that was out of the office at that point. I don't really care about any of this because I think it's all patent BS. But it's really a stupid thing to be complaining about because in this day and age, everybody is pretty much available all the time. I can tell you this from first-hand experience. I, I'm pretty much never not on the clock, as it were. It's just the, the world is a, a different place. You don't necessarily have to be in the office, and I don't think that you can expect. But even, look, all of that is, is such stupidity. The coaches going out there in public and complaining about uh, the, the us not going and getting the guy, this is what leads to the notion that Hugh really wanted uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And so then what ends up happening, this is this all of this is stewing and brewing on Tuesday after the Garoppolo uh, trade is made on Monday night. And all of this is out there and people are losing their minds about all of this, you know, on Tuesday. And at the end of the trade deadline, which, of course, was four o'clock Eastern Standard Time, actually, it's Eastern uh, daylight time. We're fixing to go back to Eastern Standard Time. Actually, uh, depending on when you you heard this, you may have already gone back to that's the old fall back where you uh, you end up uh, uh, going back an hour and, lo- and and getting you get an extra hour of sleep, which is nice. But anyway, uh, that's that's happening. So we uh, we are are at this stage of the game on Tuesday. We find out shortly after the trade deadline that the Browns almost but didn't acquire A.J. McCarron from the Cincinnati Bengals, henceforth known affectionately herein as Chesty. And initially the reaction was, what the, what, what? We were were going, we were seriously going after Chesty? What, why? Why, why would we be doing this? Now, a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of beats into this, you're thinking it's kind of like the Osweiler thing. You're like a couple of beats into this, you're like, why? Why would we do that? And okay, of course, in his case, it was you hear the compensation. It's like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then it's you know, celebration gift time. But for this, it's like, all right, well, he played with 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 Hugh. Um, I guess he's better than what we have. I, I would say that's probably fair. He's a little bit better than what we have on the roster. Although I, you know, I wouldn't mind kind of seeing what, you know, if we're going to, if we were going to go with a guy like Chesty, I think I'd rather see what Cod can do quite honestly, but really I'd just, I'd, I would just rather go with Kaiser. In fact, I'd rather just not make the trade. It's a stupid idea, which is the entire point. I would just rather not do the trade. And that's ultimately what happened. But then it got into, okay, well, if they were going to make this trade, and they didn't make this trade. Why didn't they make this trade? And this is where, you know, it just kind of depends on what you believe. There's all, and, and for me, it's kind of taking what everything that you can get, you know, everything you can get out of, out of what people say and what people report and then what people do. And from there, kind of, you know, put it all together and develop your own opinion. And I'm, what I'm telling you, all of this stuff that I'm telling you has got everything to do with what I think and what I can glean from it. But I can't tell you that I know anything for sure because nobody does. And that's the whole, which is why, quite honestly, again, it's a little absurd to be saying ironclad things like this guy could, should get fired or this guy should get fired or their team has no choice but to fire everybody because of what happens because nobody knows anything. If you are of that uh, frame of mind sitting here right now, I'm, you don't know. You don't know enough. 
about if you are predicating on what just happened in these two situations respectfully you don't know enough about them to be able to make uh, that sort of informed view because there's so much about this that is either um unbelievable um contradicted by other reports or just so for example okay the first thing that comes out actually the timeline of this and i'm going to then now use as my baseline uh chris pokorny's you know his synopsis which was you know it came out about midday on wednesday where he had kind of you know amalgamated all of the various media reports that had come uh, through and put together as best he could and even he admitted hey this is my opinion i don't really know because you can't know any of this based on what's been reported because so much of this is contradictory but apparently apparently the story goes that coach jackson and other members of his team were so distraught and unnerved and upset about what had happened vis-a-vis the grappolo trade and us not being able to make a move for him ourselves that they started getting all misty out there on the social medias and wanted us to apparently um resolve the oh and on top of that it leads to a much larger problem because they are all very, very concerned because they think they're going to get fired uh, because of the poor performance and you know the one in twenty three record and the media complaining about it. So apparently, the the concern about you know the 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 lack of performance, uh, and, and this it appears that at this point is when Jimmy Haslam stepped into the picture and evidently was on the side of Hugh Jackson in all of this. Now, let's stop right there. If you can believe that, let's just let's just ruminate on that for a moment and talk about the big picture consequences and then also the, you know, the maybe the smaller things. In the first place, Jimmy, what are you doing? You should have listened to Thelonious a couple of weeks ago. He was telling you, he was giving you good advice. Back off, bro. There's no reason for you to even be involved in this. Hire your people and step away. Yeah, if it's a big deal, sure, if you need to be consulted on it, but big bro, it's not for you to be to be getting involved at this level and at this stage of the process, especially when everybody talked about it and agreed about coming into this, that we were all going to be patient with this, that we were all going to. And when you look at a guy like Sashi Brown, this, okay, so then I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I want to be I want to make sure that I am act I am accurately representing. And by the way, if you want to take umbrage with anything that I'm t- reporting talking about this, please do it in the article that corresponds to this show that is at the website dogsbynature.com as we go through all of this. But if you are, you know, of the the um the, the, if you follow along with this, that Hugh was upset and that Jimma comes along and then gets on his side about this. Okay, well, look, aside and apart from the fact that he shouldn't be getting into these matters, number one. Number two is, well, hey, that's kind of good news, right? It's kind of good news that, that Haslam is that invested in Hugh that he's not looking at him from the the mantle of you know i'm disappointed and I, I can't you know this one in 23 record is is too much for me to handle i'm gonna have to fire everybody at the end of the year the fact that he's not looking at it that way that he's that he's coming at you from a sympathetic point of view that's positive right isn't that a, isn't that kind of a good sign i know that there's some people that are like no because you need to be fired I, okay fine fine i get it i understand but if you're if you're like me and you think that uh, you know, we need to kind of, you know, be be a little bit more take take the slow approach here because 
We're now 34 and 101 in doing this blow-up cycle every other year. Mantle talks about this in his program, and I have to agree with a lot of his conclusions on the matter. If you're if you're interested in breaking that that cycle, well, then I would suggest that the fact that Haslam seems to have this kind of connection with Hugh is a good thing, is a positive thing. Again, if the story is to be believed. And, of course, the way that the story goes now, the next phase of the story is that apparently Jimma and Hugh together went to Sashi and said, we want A.J. McCarron, you and it's unknown. Maybe Hugh reached out and did the deal himself with Mike Brown of the of the Cincinnati Bengals. And look, let's 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 talk about that for a second. The Bengals and Browns have never done a deal together before. And if you don't know anything about the history of the team, a lot of it has to do with they hate each other. They have historically the Bengals were specifically and explicitly created for the sole purpose of competing with and defeating the Cleveland Browns. If you don't know this, it's history. Go look it up. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm embellishing a little bit here, but the timeline of it is, uh, you know, Paul Brown took that team over. His son, Mike Brown, still runs it, and there's always been a deep, embedded animosity between the two franchises, Battle of Ohio and all that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a real thing, but he was willing to give up a quarterback. And, okay, again, let's go back to the thing we just talked about with Belichick. Okay, and I'm trying not to – I want to make sure that I get through every step of the process here, but you have, to, you have to kind of stop on some of this and really put – in order to, in my view, put the whole picture together and really have, I think, a, a good understanding of everything that happened here to the extent that any of us can't possibly can. Is that fair? I'm, try, I'm trying to be. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not, but I'm trying to be. Okay. So at that point. If the if if as I say with Belichick, if he's got a good franchise quarterback, yeah, he's not going to give him away for nothing. But he's also going to be a little bit choosy about who he's going to give him to. Well, if Chesty is a guy that can do, you know, if Chesty is a guy that we're looking at as a guy that can come in and maybe win a couple of games. Hello, the Bengals are one of those teams that are on our schedule. So if they are going to get, first of all, if they feel like he is the type of guy that can help us, why? Why would they give him to us for anything other than a Q deal? And I hate to be, you know, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to loosen the standards in order to make the point here. I'm just saying it would have to require something like that. And look, that's kind of what we, what they ended up demanding a second and a third for that guy. Yeah, that kind of is that kind of definitely registers on that scale. But at the same time, if it's a guy that can do even you know even average quarterback work, a second and third at really isn't that steep of a price to pay. I know that you're you know throwing shoes at, the, at your I don't know your phone or whatever you're listening to to this on. Uh, as I say that, but honestly, it's it's the truth, especially when you're a team like us that has three second rounders going into next year, and, and along with two first rounders and two fourths. I'm saying, you know, it's not the most absurd deal to make if you think that McCarron is that type of guy. I happen to think that McCarron is kind of a, you know, a lousy prospect and not a guy that I would have as as a solution to anything. Again, I to me, I think that the, the best course of action if you're if you're considering a guy like McCarron is what we have. What we have on the roster, we're better off just continuing to develop Kaiser and if necessary, if we have to go to a guy, let's go to Cod. At some, which we've already done. In other words, what we're doing right now, and I think that that uh, reportedly, reputedly, that is what Sashi held the line on. He said, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. You guys know it's stupid. We shouldn't be monkeying around with these picks that we worked hard to acquire and throw them away on, you know, on, on, on A.J. McCarron. 
And as the story goes, so again, you, and you, you look at all of this, the Bengals were, and, and here's another thing to look at. The Bengals don't have another quarterback on the roster. And uh, Dalton, you know, the Red Rifle, he missed a lot of time last year. So you're giving away your backup quarterback who, you know, there's some there's some weirdness with his situation because he's got, uh, they're, they're going to be going to arbitration to determine how many games he should be vested for. And all, it, it, all of that is going to depend on whether or not he's going to be a restricted or, a unrest- or an unrestricted free agent going into the cycle. And that matters. All of that matters. It matters in terms of value. It matters for a lot of things. And all of this is part of the negotiation for it as well. So, you know, apparently after... And again, it depends on which version of the story you want to believe. But the version of events, again, as uh, outlined by Chris, and that I'm kind of more or less following along here and responding to, considering that there are other things that could have happened, and I think kind of did happen, is that Sashi just would not follow through, but then I guess... or I. Apparently, reluctantly, but in earnest, did attempt to to follow through with the execution of the trade. Okay. Now I'm going to you know uh, circle back around to that you know before the end of this, but at this point, evidently the paperwork that was sent in was wrong. Specifically. The league cleared up that the Bengals did, in fact, send the right, correct paperwork, and they copied the league on it, and they signed it, and they also had the Browns copied on it. Now, you know, to me, this whole thing is, is kind of absurd to think about, you know, that this is the actual process. But evidently, a guy, I don't have his name in front of me, but it's some underling, um, is the one that sent the paperwork to the Bengals... And did not CC the league on it. Did not carbon copy the league on it. If for some reason you don't know what email is, that means they didn't, you know, they sent it to more than one person. And apparently this underling sent it to another underling for the Bengals. But the Bengals were apparently, you know, too busy watching, you know, trying to get everything uh, collected to send to the league. Which I'm like, what do they got to collect? Do the deal, sign it, and send it in. This is not rocket surgery, people. But evidently, it went to the spam filter or something, and they weren't able to get it uh, consummated in time. The 4 o'clock deadline passed. And there, at that point, it is reported that Sashi went and um, appealed to the league, petitioned the league, and said, hey, we did everything. We did it on time. You should, you should you know, consummate this deal because we did everything on time. There was just a technical error, and the league said, nope, nope, big fat middle finger. This deal isn't going down. See, I mean, even with that right there, there's a lot of things that, right, if Sashi was so much against doing this, then why would he have appealed the trade? Well, the answer is that he was trying to be a good soldier. He was trying to do, you know, right by what apparently his coach and his boss told him to do. Um, But he had an underling do it, and the guy, you know, screwed the thing up. Now... Look, I, I am I am I am calling BS on the notion that it was a clerical error. This is this is where I am going to firmly plant my flag on Easy Island and say there is no way Sashi Brown or a member of Sashi Brown's team screwed up the technical execution of a trade. It didn't. Ha- I, 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 I just I do not believe that that part of it happened. I can believe a couple of things. I can believe that uh it, i can believe i can believe that that uh, haslam forced actually you know first thing i can believe 
is that Haslam said, you're doing this, do it, make it right, and then Sashi sabotaged it. I can believe that. I can also believe that, and, and then tried to go back and cover his tracks later on and, uh, and say, oh, no, this thing should have went through. But he's, he knew what he was doing. He knew every you know, nook and cranny of what he was doing and, and let it fall through. Which, if that is what happened, especially as this story unfolds, as this whole thing unfolds, this whole week, it's been a long week. If that is, you know, there's no, there's no way that it happened, but if he did, in fact, sabotage it, which is what I kind of consider to be my, my option A at this point, then Sashi comes out like the hero in all of this. Because Chesty for a two and a three is a monumentally stupid thing, especially if it was the Houston second rounder. And especially for the type of thing that we're trying to do here. And especially for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that the guy's not that very good. He's not that good at all. Honestly, he's not an NFL quarterback. Well, he's not the guy. He's, he's you know, he's, he's Holcomb. You know, I'd rather see Kevin Hogan, quite honestly. You know, I, I would be as excited about acquiring Jeff Driscoll as I would be about getting A.J. friggin' McCarron. But I'm definitely leery about acquiring McCarron if he's coming from a division rival that has never done a trade with us before. Because it speaks to them maybe sandbagging the fact that, he's not, that they know he's not that good and they're willing to give him up. Now, a couple of other things have come out since then. I don't want to... Um, deny that there are other things that could have happened. The Bengals said that we screwed it up. The uh, the Browns say that the Bengals screwed it up. The league has come out since then and said that the terms and conditions didn't even match each other, so the trade would have been nullified anyway. So somebody screwed this up, and, and some are reporting that the Bengals are actually the ones that screwed this up. Because And some of this is so absurd. Like, in other words, they wouldn't do a trade with us normally, but they were willing to do a trade with us because Mike Brown so likes A.J. McCarron that he wanted to give him a chance to start for a team. Uh, really? Really? Okay. Okay. I totally buy that. I totally believe that McCarron, that, that Mike Brown's big heart was going to allow him to go to us so that way he could get a chance. What is getting a chance at starting me that maybe he could actually be good? So you want to put somebody in your division that could be... I don't I don't buy it. And I don't buy... So I don't buy that Sashi was earnestly looking to do this anyway. Uh, I just... I don't... Unless, now, now I, I, let, me, let me back up to that. Because as, as, as I mentioned, I don't think... That, and there's so many... Again, there's so many, so many pieces and parts of this. I don't think that Sashi and his team in a, that they genuinely, that they earnestly screwed up here. That in their doing, trying to do their best effort, putting their best foot forward, that they screwed this up. I can believe sabotage. And there's another way that I can believe sabotage. I can believe, because the coaches uh, going out and griping on Tuesday, that stuff happened. That stuff did happen out there. That stuff, um could have very well filtered up to Sashi. I I conjured up a, a scenario thinking about this on Tuesday that maybe how it went down was that Sashi um you know he heard what Hugh had to say and he had sympathy for the situation. And he's like I don't want my coach feeling like I don't care about him. I don't want my coach thinking that I just, you know, put him in in not the best position to fail because of my, you know, and and that I'm somehow absolved of, you know, Maybe there's I'm I'm look I'm I don't know what this is the whole point I don't know I'm just we're just spitballing here we're just talking all right Maybe what happened was maybe maybe Sashi felt like you know I don't want my coach feeling like this so he called up Mike Brown or whoever over over in the Natty and he's like look 
Um, we'll give you a two and a three for Chesty right now. Do the paperwork. They're like, whoa, yeah, yeah shut up. I'll yeah, Two and a three you know is, is ridiculous. Do the paperwork and we'll do it. So the Bengals, you know, they, they hemmed and hawed, but they realized that it was the best deal that they were ever going to get for that guy. So I'm sure that they got it all done as fast as they possibly could. And at that point, Sashi goes to Hugh and says, look, man, you know, I, I love you. I, I don't, you know, I don't want us to have this, this bad relationship. I certainly don't want you using the media to go out and try to, you know, to, I, we don't need this. We don't, we don't need this. We're on the same, we are the same team, bro. This is what we are. So I'll tell you what. You're upset because of, of the sandwich thing. Look, you're just going to have to believe me. I didn't have, you know, I, I, I didn't have a, a, a say there. I didn't have a play there. They didn't. They cut me out of it. Or if that's not what happened, he could say, look, what they wanted was just too much. It was just, it was, but look, I hear, I hear you. I hear you. I also, we've argued about this before, but I also know how you feel about, about your boy in, in Cincinnati, how you feel about Chesty. I know I shouldn't call him that, but look, I, I just got off the phone with those guys and if you want them, we can get them. Well, it's going to cost us two and a three. That's what it's going to cost us to do it. <clears throat> but it's not that the offer's there, and I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. Um, you know, for I'm, I'm willing to do it for you. And yeah, I don't, I don't care what it does to our draft positioning. I'm willing to do it for you. If that, you know, that's if 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 that will. You know, will, will make you feel, you know, give you the, make you know that I'm behind you, that I'm not trying to sandbag you, that I'm not trying, you know, that I want your success more than anybody else, you know, I, I, or as much as anybody else, you know, I, I want it as much as anybody in the world that's not you or, you know, or your, or your immediate family or Mr. Haslam, you know, assuming that they're, you know, that they don't call him hee haw like we do. But I'm saying the kid's there, you know, if, if you want him, we'll go get him. You just say the word, coach. And maybe after that gesture, Hugh said, okay, you know what? I don't know what I was... I, I was just really frustrated about the, about the sandwich thing because I really love that kid, and I thought that he was going to be special. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what they did. If they, I, I believe you. I, we, we can't be doing a two and a three for McCarran. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I think that he's better than what we got right now, but you know, we, we can't do that. We, we just can't. We need to spend probably one of those on getting a couple of safeties. Let's do that instead. And, you know, just, just, just kill the deal. Just, just do what you have to do to kill the deal. And so I just like, hey, no problem, man. I, I can kill this thing, no problem. But I just, want, I just want us to be good, you know? That's... Now, nobody's reporting that. That is... That, if, if you, you, it is very, very likely that that is the very first time that you have heard anything resembling that possible scenario that could have gone down that way. And I don't know that it did. I, I have no idea. It's just in looking at the total universe of possibilities that could have happened, that one is is among them. I kind of think that... No, by the way, another one here. It kind of goes back to the first one, which was that Sashi said, um, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. I, I'm not doing it. And Haslam is pounding the table. You will do it. You work for me. You're going to... Look, if you want to fire me, if you want to go over my head, do it. But I'm not putting my fingerprints on this because this is a big mistake. And you're going to find out that it's a big mistake if you go through with it. And maybe Haslam knew. Maybe Jimmy knew that he was right. And <laughs> which would actually kind of fit. Because all of these things kind of do fit if you look at them in, in, you know, kind of a holistic fashion here. And maybe at that point he says, fine. And he goes and he calls up What's-His-Nuts and he says, hey, dude... You're going to go out there, and you're going to make this trade with the Bengals. We've already got the paperwork done. Here it is. Make it happen. 
and then the underling in a tight pressure situation because it's like you know five minutes worth of time at this point it was like uh 354 that the paperwork was sent over incorrectly all right in that scenario i can buy that the underling genuinely screwed up the deal you know and that and that was what happened and that would also uh follow what would happen the next day but before i get to that it wouldn't put it i i mentioned this yesterday on the chow i wouldn't put it past sashi if he would have prepared knowing that jimmy is who he is if he wouldn't have prepared his guy and said look if we're ever in this spot and you are forced to do something against the will of what we know this is how you kill it this i would i'm saying i'm saying all of it is a possibility here all of it is a possibility here because we just don't know and i guess there's also the possibility of it just was a deal where they tried to do it they bungled and stumbled and fumbled around waited around to the last minute potchkeyed up the delivery method and the deal ended and lol browns and look if that is what happened honestly if that is and that is that right that is the thirty thousand foot media narrative of of this whole thing that we just tried and failed to make a really bad deal well look if that is what happened i I, okay i know i know how could you even make that like i say i mean you can you can kind of justify the compensation in a number of ways personally i'm with you if you're like the idea that you would send a two and three for to cincinnati for mccarran is is a fireable I, i get it i get it I don't agree with your conclusion, but I understand where you're coming from because I don't have him anywhere near a two and a three. I'm thinking like a conditional fifth, and, and that's like top end. Really kind of more of a conditional seventh, but whatever. I mean, I could, I could deal with you know throwing a fifth to the, to the natty in order to pick up this guy, but a two and a three, are you out your damn mind? But again, if he's a guy that you legitimately think can come in and win a couple of games and then looking at what the going rate is on quarterbacks, da 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 but at the same time, here's another part of all of this. If we were willing to give up a two and a three for McCarron, doesn't that mean that we probably were willing to give up at least that much for Samich? Right? I mean, doesn't it seem like if we were, unless we just didn't have a, a, a grade on, on Samich and, and thought that, that McCarron was a better fit for, I mean, is it, I guess that's possible, not very bloody likely i wouldn't i wouldn't say i i would guess that if we were in on trying to get mccarran that we were probably in on getting sandwich and the idea that we would get outbid by the niners when what we ultimately were willing apparently to give up for mccarran and by the way even the compensation hasn't been verified on all of this all all of this again is such speculation but again i'm trying to cover the world on this to try to get a a accurate ish enough view of an opinion of an idea of how all of this went down and if at that point uh, we were willing to give up two and a three, I would say that it was probably pretty clear that we were willing to give up at least, at least a two for Garoppolo the day before. But if we really did, uh, we're trying to do this and it just fell through, well, then maybe we just got lucky. You know, maybe we just, maybe we just got lucky. Maybe it was just one of those deals where we just got lucky. And look, that's not all that um out of the cards because of what would happen next now before i get into what the big thing that happened next the next thing well it is kind of a big thing the next day d haslam apparently went to the media via mike florio and 
you know, apparently what happened was the story is the word on the street is that she went and just lit up the front office. Went nuclear was the term that he used on them, which I guess means that she went in and she really yelled at them. And probably made some ultimatums. And probably, you know, I was really, was really angry face about the entire thing. But nobody got fired. Which is an interesting thing. You know, if there's that level of subordination, and of course the speculation, well, you know, they talk so much about continuity and da 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 uh, So they, they would look stupid if they, you know, if they, if they were to, really? So the, 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 the primary motivator here is that we don't want to look stupid? I think that if they really were that... Well, see, again, this is just my opinion. Here's another scenario that I've posited. You know, what if... If if everything went down... And some people have speculated that that D... That the reason that D went after the front office is because she is, like, super-duper all-on-board, all-in on Hugh. And was a driving force. And, And if you go back to the recruiting process, the courting process, if you will, D was one of the people that Hugh cited over and often about... Um, you know, be, being one of the deciding factors in him coming here, because she was, you know, just so great about you know the whole, the, you know, about everything. With uh, with, you know, when, when they it, it, he specifically mentioned D and and uh, Jimmy and Paul and Sashi as the guys that made that deal. Well, okay, so apparently in all of this, D is on everybody's is on Hugh's side. Also, evidently, Jimmy is on Hugh's side, and Sashi is the the bad guy here. But if everybody is against Sashi, but Sashi ultimately wins the day, then how come you know the going nuclear part wasn't enough to divest themselves of Sashi? It may be because not all of this story fits. Again, as I say, let's go back to the to the part of this where Jimmy and Hugh decide that they are going to make this deal whether Sashi likes it or not. It wouldn't surprise me if at that point, maybe sooner, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's the point where they try to get um, D involved with it. By the way, I'd really love to know Paul D. Podesta's point of view on all of this. You know, if you're out there listening, Paul, hey man, easyweave at gmail.com and I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to, I'd, I would love to talk to you. But it's apparently at this point, or I should say, it's, it's in my mind at this point, it could very well be that, that D was like, you want to do what? You want to send a two and a three to the natty for Chesty? Because they all use my colloquialisms in, in this, is what I'm, you know. No! That's the stupidest thing. Are you, are you both on dope? This is, I seriously want to, I could see this going down this way. And then them arguing about it, and, them, and her being the calming voice in this that says, no, no. Tell Sashi to kill this however he has to do it. We're not doing this. And then she then could have very well gone out the next day and orchestrated this whole media circus in order to make it, you know, to substantiate and to make it. And and as much as anything, that is kind of a show of confidence for Hugh, isn't it? Because of all the stuff, him going out there and him and hawing and, again, kind of making an ass out of himself and his coaching staff doing the same thing on, on Twitter on Tuesday. It could have been that the coach is doing all of this. Conversely, the other way that this could have went down, which seems a little less likely to me, is that it was D that you know either orchestrated the trades or got with Hugh, and they were the ones that were uh, you know crying about all of this, and maybe it was Jimmy that stepped in and said, hey, guys, we don't need to be doing this. We don't need to be... Uh, this doesn't need to be a Ray Farmer texting Daryl Logan's type deal. We're, we don't. We don't need this level of dysfunction. We hired a guy to do this. 
Hugh, if you've already worked out the trade with Cincinnati, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be going out and talking about the team in public. Sashi is going to have to deal. The, is going to have to kill this deal, and we're going to have to do some. We're going to have to play some. Uh, um, I mean, it's it's very difficult for me to imagine Jimmy having this level head, you know, talking about things in this way, just based on what I've seen with the guy. But I'm saying it's a possibility. I'm saying it's a possibility that it could have gone down this way. Um, but at the end of the day, after those two days, what ultimately happened? Nothing, really. We didn't trade for a quarterback either of those days. We didn't give up any compensation. We didn't acquire Garoppolo. We didn't get McCarron. And really, the circumstances surround all that. If, if at, the, at the end of the day, it's night. And I, I think in my heart of hearts, the option here that I am going with is that Jimmy and Hugh um, you know, forced Sashi to do this, and Sashi killed it. That, that's, 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 what I, that's what I think happened. I don't know. I'm just saying, based on everything that I've seen, and, and we, can, we can all, I think that Sashi killed the thing. And, that, and, that, and I'm not saying that so that way I can conclude, and that means that he's the hero. I'm just saying that's what I think happened based on everything that I've seen. And I think that... Um, uh, that that D's getting involved. I'm not. I'm not. I'm un, very unclear as to whether or not D's blowing up on him was authentic. All I'm saying is that there's more to this than meets the eye, as we all have uh, have seen. And, I, and I'd be interested to see what the next press conference by anybody uh, is going to say about all of this. Okay, so then this is now on Wednesday. This is the timeline of this uh, most important bye week of our lifetimes, 2017. On Wednesday, as everybody is still gnashing their teeth and, and uh, huffing and puffing and, and being, you know, very angry face about this whole thing, the word comes down from on high that, in fact, Josh Gordon is going to be, well, he's going to be given the opportunity to be reinstated into the National Football League. Uh, all of this, is which, which is really great. i got to tell you guys, it's, it's really awesome for me because I heard about this via uh the social media you know i was i was able to kind of hear about this really really quickly after it happened i mean i i was i was so that means that i was able to and the way that it kind of works without getting too much you know under the hood inside baseball type thing is whenever these things kind of break there's this kind of um chain of of uh of of communication between the various dogs by nature you know people that are writers that kind of get on the hey this happened and what who's the best person to cover this let's get the information because it really is a diligent effort to provide the best coverage uh, possible there's there's all sorts of stuff that goes into making sure that a story is right and that the information is correct and all of that um and it's it's a very credible and, and up to snuff process I, I would say um, but when this happened i was kind of like the first guy to see it happen and be in a position to kind of do it so i was re- it was really I was really happy and proud to be able to uh, to, to get it up on the article uh, up on the website quickly that we had gotten him and in the process, um, you know, kind of look into the parameters and they are that he is now able to right now uh, join the team for team meetings uh, in a couple of weeks. He can practice and as of the twenty seventh, which is the day after uh, week what is that 12 i think he then can start he can by election of the team be uh, promoted to the active roster at which point we'd have to uh uh waive somebody 
and that would be the game on December, I think it's December 3rd against the Chargers in the rematch of our only win last year. So, you know, that that could happen. He could be in the lineup uh, as, as early as, uh, as that point. Now, you know, time will tell. Well, we don't know this at that point, but that's a pretty big deal. In the midst of a lot of people having a tough week dealing with the quarterback uh, paradigm, to get the good news, and, and to me, I think, it's, okay, it's good news. We've been here before, right? We've been, I mean, last, last year, lest we forget, he was actually in uh, pads. He was actually on the field and playing in, in preseason games with the team and looked good, too. But then he was going to return, uh, it was week four, um, or it was week five. He was a four-game, it was after four games, he could then join the team. And what happened? The week before, he would be in a position to be eligible to do it. He checked himself into rehab and was effectively done at that point. And it was another in a long string of disappointments with this young man who has such or had, it's just, it's unclear to say now, we're going to be starting all over again to see really, I mean, his agent says he's in the best shape of his life, you know, hearty har har. If he is, if he's, if he still has that same burst, then, I mean, we are picking up a legit, um, you know, elite prospect at a position that has just been. Um, and, and honestly, honestly, if we get Corey Coleman back, and he's scheduled to come back a little bit before, a little bit before then, you know, I was very, very excited about what he was going to look like if he's able to come back, and we get Gordon back. Those two guys, especially with the way Njoku's been playing, all of a sudden, you know, the weapons are looking a lot, lot better on this team, and the wide receiver position, which has been a position of death for us, all of a sudden looks a lot more formidable, and maybe the kid will look better. Maybe Kid Zeppelin will look better. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe I remain at this point on the the thought process that until I see him on the field playing for us, until I actually see that happen, where he's lined up on a regular in the regular season playing for us, I'm not going to believe it. I'm just, and then even when that happens, I'm not going to count on him for anything long term until he does it for at least. What do you What do you think I'm going to say? I'm not going to say three years. I'll say a year, though. You know, I'm Mr. Three Years. But I would say if he gives us a full year where he stays in the field, and then, like, in other words, if he were to stay on the the, the, the field, start for us, you know, the remaining, you know, what, three or four games or whatever he'll be eligible to do at the end of this year, and then he doesn't have any trouble in the offseason, no DUIs, no nothing, and he's able to, doesn't get, you know, busted, you know, uh, drinking on this final game, none of that. If he's able to, or if he does, he just doesn't tweet it out. If he's able to uh, keep his nose clean, metaphorically speaking, and goes through the offseason and comes back and is the starter, you know, all throughout, you know, mini camp and training camp and preseason and all that, okay, then I'll start believing it. Then I will start believing that, all right, this is for real. For right now, I'm not, I'm not really there. Um, but I, but I'm still I'm happy for him. I'm happy for a lot of people that have been holding out hope, and I'm I'm happy especially because a lot of people just were having a down week with all of this stuff that was going on. And for the good news about a guy like Gordon, it, it brightens a lot of people's uh, uh, perspective on all of this and gives people some much needed hope. Yeah, uh, it's still not a given, but if it's going to happen, it's about a month away now, and that's you know that's kind of a positive thing. Um, that's a that's a that's that's one of these things that it happened it's a good thing it still doesn't nothing still really actually happened though 
you know, we're still pretty much in the same spot with the kid. It's just that he's now cleared a a portion of this that looks like um, it looks like maybe the the waters have receded a bit, and it might actually happen. Time will tell. That's kind of the the third, you know, super huge big thing that happened this week. The fourth doesn't. Re- well, no, it does. I was going to say the fourth. Uh, it, it absolutely has something to do with the Cleveland Browns. Maybe not the way that you're going to think originally, initially that I'm talking about this, but that is that Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson uh, in a non-contact drill in practice tore his ACL from the different knee that he uh, tore two years ago when he was at Clemson, tore the other one, and he's done for the year. And I feel bad for him because, I, 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 first of all, I really like him. He was one of the guys that was in kind of – I thought of he was the top four – uh, quarterbacks coming into the draft he was the second tier I thought down from Trubs and Mahomey and was having just a fantastic rookie season which was you know kind of a double-edged sword as far as liking him because yeah I like him but I like the Browns more and we've got the Texans number one and number two first and second round picks next year and with him playing as he's been playing yeah I mean he may drop you know down to earth as the season wears on but right now he's balling out and it looks like the C- the uh the uh, uh the Texans I should say are going to win some games which you know th- which always happens right we always end up uh having somebody's first round pick and then we have a chance to play those guys and it never works out and we lost of course lost to the Texans a couple of weeks back and Watson looked great in that game against us well he's done for the year now and a couple of things about that in the most immediate way yeah that first and second round pick that's that's now going to be uh you know if 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 uh you know if Fred Savage goes out there and doesn't perform or I should say perform as he's been performing throughout the course of his career and as he did earlier this year before he got benched for Watson well then yeah we're that pick is going to look pretty good they may finish the year 3 and 13 uh they or maybe 4 and 12 but we're probably looking at about you know top maybe top 5 top 10 pick then at this point you know, J.J. Watt's out, Merciless is out. I mean, they, they've got a lot of guys that are, and, you know, Clowney's been up and down. They they're really are a depleted uh, club at this point. And that does kind of bode well for us, you know, as far as those picks are concerned. I generally and genuinely like and, and kind of have a, a, a bit of a, you know, a, a soft spot in my heart for, well, definitely for, for Texans fans. I, I just like Texans fans. They're just cool people. I like Vikings fans too. That, too, that dude, uh, Talsios, that dude, that dude's awesome. He come, he, he's a Vikings guy that has decided to hang around with us, and that, that's pretty cool. Um, welcome, and I hope that you uh, stay. And if you're listening to the program, then um, you know, awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so much the better. But uh, the Texans people are cool, and uh, oh, and hey, grats on the uh, the World Series. That's um, in fact, I saw this thing. It was a guy. It was on Snapchat that was saying, "Hey, would you trade Deshaun Watt game?" Because Game Seven was on. I think it was on uh, Tuesday, and they said, "Hey," which, or maybe it was Wednesday. Because uh, you no, know, it was Tuesday because Wednesday was when the injury happened. And they said, "Hey, would you trade Watson for this win?" <coughs> Pardon me. And uh, <clears throat> guy said, "Yep, I would." <clears throat> well. You know, hey, if the if the if the corners were if if the uh, I should say if the fortunes were reversed and we if the Indians were in a game seven, like they were last year, and we were like, hey, would you give up Joe Thomas in order to get? You know, okay, I'm, I'm just going to stop that whole thought process right there because it's already a sad <laughs> experience for a lot of reasons. Just just considering all of this, but look, I don't really have a whole lot of. Um, 
you know, I, 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 as I say, I kind of like I kind of like Deshaun Watson. I kind of have some sympathy for the Texans, but it kind of ends right there because I really love the Browns and I really want things to go best for us more than anything. So, you know, I, I don't mind saying that I kind of, you know, I'm, 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 I'm I, I, I feel like it's a net positive that that Watson's done for the year, and I realize that that's kind of a, a you know, that they say, "Oh, I can't believe you're rooting for people." I didn't root for the kid to get injured, but that he got injured is you know, it works to our advantage next year when we don't have their first and second round pick and he gets hurt i can be like oh man that's that's terrible that's really unfortunate kind of like when carson palmer gets hurt every oh yeah that sucks it doesn't really suck that bad this year but you know what there's something else about this in the first place i gotta say this is why i do the three-year rule i do the three-year rule precisely because you know, a guy like Watson, you know, he just started off the year looking great. There's no way to know if the second half of the year he would have looked as great as he did the first half of the year. You just don't know that. You can't assume that. You have no idea what he's going to come out and look at next year. But this is the whole point is you can't, after a half a season, say definitively that's the guy. I'm sure that the Texans are banking on that, and they should. He has shown enough that they're not looking at anybody else in the offseason as their quarterback. He's going to be the guy. He's going to come back, and he's going to be the guy. His running style is going to be probably diminished because of this. Um, and so then it's going to be all about can he make it from the pocket. I think that um, he's shown enough to hear the show that he actually can. But uh, time is going to tell on that. He may be the, the first bronze to, uh, to break through. But what if he doesn't? What if he comes out next year and he has a different type of injury? You know, this is kind of like the same thing with Malik Hooker. Um, people were uh, really... He got he had a torn ACL, and there were guys like me that were saying during the the draft process, I'd be really leery about this guy because he's got a hip labrum. And people were like, "Well, it's not the same. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's not the same type of injury." I you know I get that fine, but it's still an injury concern, and it it just goes to say that if if part of the reason that we didn't draft either Watson or Hooker was because we were concerned about injury, then hey guys, and I don't know that that's true. It could just be that we just didn't like those guys or we whatever. But if part of it was injury concern, then mark those boxes checked. Now, that doesn't mean, now again, that's just for the rookie year evaluation. For both of those guys, if after three years in the league, if after three years in the league, Malik Hooker has basically played for two of those three years and looks like a star, all right, well, then the injury thing wasn't, it, it didn't ultimately pan out. Same thing with Watson. If Watson comes back next year, and is healthy and plays all the way through, well, then the injuries weren't all that concerned. But if Watson comes back and has a different type of injury and loses misses time next year, well, then what are we talking about here? And that is all part of what you are doing when you are scouting quarterbacks, guys, that, you know, that, that, that have an injury history. That's, that's part of it. You have to throw that into the equation. I was talking about with a guy about uh, Nick Chubb, the running back out of Georgia who's been tearing it up the last couple of years. And I get it. I know he's been tearing it up. But at the same time, I remember what that knee looked like. You know what I'm talking about. If you saw it, um, you know, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you could YouTube Nick Chubb knee injury, but I wouldn't recommend doing it because it's nasty. It's bad. And I, I wouldn't do it. But, hey, do what you want. I'm just saying. I am therefore going to put that into consideration, just like anybody would have with like Willis McGahee when he came out. He ended up having a good career. Not the same type of running back, though. That you know, he ended up and did not end up being the same type of running back 
um, that he was when he was drafted initially because he just didn't have. He became a good running back at the NFL level, had a good career, but he just wasn't the type of back. And we saw at the, at the tail end of that career that he really um, had lost that burst completely. Which, when he was in college, was you know he was a very uh, impressive back when he was in college. But that, you know that's 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 what these things happen. And so with. Um, with all of these guys, uh, I, I, I'm not, you know, closing the book on Deshaun Kaiser. I want to see what he can do. I'm not, you know, saying that after eight games, you can tell for sure. I'm scouting quarterbacks because it looks like we're probably going to have the top pick or one of the top picks. And if we have if we have the top pick, then that may be that is as close a thing as you probably are going to have to an indicator that, yeah, maybe you don't have the answer settled at quarterback. Maybe not. Then again, Tim Couch was a Hail Mary and missed field goal away from going 0-16 his rookie year. And yet, I was convinced, and am to this day still too, that he was uh, the answer at quarterback for us during those times, and he would have been if we wouldn't just destroyed the kid with our terrible offensive line performance and general, um, you know, just bad way that we built that franchise. But nevertheless, I I don't think that if if we have the number one pick overall, and you have what I'm looking at at least two and possibly four off the top of my head without even having gone through all of that. I think fourth percent is like 35 prospects. It's crazy. And there's a lot of really, really good ones. And I'm just saying, if if we have the number one pick, you got to look at those guys. You know, Kaiser might be the guy or he might be Jimmy Clausen. You just don't know. You just don't know going into the offseason. But the fact that, you know, Watson is now going to allow for uh, Watson being injured um, I'm not saying that it, you know, people you know, say it doesn't absolve the front office from not drafting him. Hey, look, first of all, it, it's not a given, just like it's not a given about Garoppolo. It's not a given that Watson is going to be a franchise guy. Yeah, I know what he's looked like up to this point, but do I really? I mean, you, you remember RG3, right? I mean, these things, Rick Meyer, he's another one. Go back and look at his rookie year and see what the guy actually did, you know, after that. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that Deshaun Watson isn't going to be a good quarterback. All indications are he's going to be a really good quarterback even though he's a bronze. But that that's going to have to play out, which is why um, he's really the prime candidate for uh, the three-year rule. And when it comes to three years, I, 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 as I wind this thing down, um, look at we are still in the building process, but we are so much further along than we were when we started this and have done it very, very rapidly. So don't lose, you know, lose the faith here. I really think that we've got to what is it is incumbent upon us to exercise some patience here and to let this thing ride out. I am of the hope, even though I think that uh, there was some sabotage going on here, that uh, that that Sashi went about this. You know, again, my my thought is don't know this, but my thought is that he, you know, kind of put the kibosh on this thing. My hope is that Jimmy's, you know, apparent connection with Hugh and the fact that they didn't fire Sashi is enough that will keep all of everybody together for at least one more offseason because we could go into this. And I'm going to um, kind of tease. Maybe this is something to talk about for next week because Forth asked this question. I think it's a really good question to ask. And I think that the initial reaction that most people have is, I think it may, maybe something that you might, might want to just you know reconsider possibly. Let's say that we've got the first and the fifth pick overall based on our terrible play, continuing to be per- terrible play, and the Texans' um, relatively surprising play you know, now falling back to earth because of the reason for that relative surprise, Deshaun Watson being done for the rest of the year. If that all plays out, the idea of drafting, especially with the guys involved, 
drafting uh, two quarterbacks with like the first and the fifth pick overall. You ba- I don't know how you at that point it damn near and especially with Kaiser still Kaiser still on the roster. Um, I don't know that and, and this again I realize that it's that that's crazy, um, but I really I think it's something that's worth exploring. I'm not going to do it now. Uh, but I really think it's something worth exploring for um, uh, for the next program, or maybe for the uh, the square table um, that people have been uh, chiming uh, up as they want to get in on. Looks like we are going to get together maybe uh, on Saturday the 11th. It's looking like it's possibly, which by the time you hear this, may or may, maybe it's passed. But if you'd like to get in on that, it's where basically we just all kind of get together and talk. Uh, hit me up, easyweave at gmail.com. I've already talked with some of you already, but it's probably best for us to uh, do that and just coordinate and we'll uh just 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 keep a look here on the threads and you'll you'll uh you'll see when all of that is happening hopefully i um i don't think that i left anything out here with respect to all of these these things that happened this week uh in terms of what first of all making it making it known that i don't know that i'm trying to honestly pursue the truth here in what happened and then from there maybe kind of make some sort of judgment about what all of that means with the caveat being that we can't know we won't know and certainly i don't know with anything resembling full-on assurance but what i can say is that um this is still a team that's got a lot of really good things going for it right now and it doesn't materialize it's on the field um but with this thing, and somebody said, somebody said that uh, the, the, the team has reached new lows as far as dysfunction. Really? No, I'm sorry. If this is the worst that we have to deal with, then we are. Then we got the right guys. Quite honestly, if this is the worst, just go back to two years ago. Just go back to two years ago and look at what that situation was all about. And I'm talking about on the field, the roster, uh, the, the all of the stuff going on in the front office. With the, and I even still, it would have been. Um, probably, you know, it, it, it could have been considered Johnny Manziel. Yeah, well, that kind of kills all that. I was going to say, you still could have considered keeping everybody together, but no, you really can't. I understand that. Um, and I also understand that um, it's terrible to, um, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's very hard to keep to keep to keep plugging away with this with this club. But uh, hey, it's what we do. And uh, if you if, if you're still with me and you're uh, you're hanging out here every week or. And if you're listening to the other shows and you're going to the to the to the threads and uh, and talking about all this, then hey man, God bless you and and, and keep keep hanging on. The better days are coming. I, I can, I just I, I really I feel it. This uh, this off season, if we can just keep these guys together and they can go out and either get the QB or I mean, this is the off season where we're going to decide what the answer to that question is really going to be. Is it going to be one of the top guys or are we going to stick with Kaiser? Or are we going to back up the truck for Kirk Cousins? I don't know. That's a, that's a possibility, I suppose. I doubt it. I think he's going to stay in Washington just because that's con- constantly contrary to the conventional wisdom, which, of course, you know, I always try to go counter to. Like Patton said, if everybody's thinking the same thing, then nobody's thinking. Dilly dilly, and I will end the program with that. I love you guys. I really do. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful week. Good luck. Take care out there. God bless. Until next time. So. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. 
And we're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. (laughs) We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.